All right. Well, the church has this important seasonal cycle. We started talking about it last week that begins with the first Sunday of Advent. And so the word Advent is this, uh, comes from this Latin word that means arrival or coming. And it's a season that's designed to help us uh, like cultivate our awareness of God's actions, past, present, and future. And so today we're actually going to be talking about comfort. So not, like I was thinking about this, not like lazy boy comfort or the comfort of a nice couch or bed, not that kind of comfort, the other kind of comfort, the kind of comfort that's needed when, uh, when there's moments of crisis, the kind of comfort that's required in those type of situations, right? And so comforting, comforting others is hard work. My guess is that if you're like me, uh, maybe we're not so confident in how, how we do this, right? So this is what we're going to be talking about today. We want to do this well. Two critical questions for everyone when it comes to comfort. Now, this is going to be important. Don't mess this up, okay? Because um, I'm going to ask you a question. So if you're not sure about the answer, don't blurt it out to someone. If there's like a loved one sitting next to you and you don't, you're not sure, keep the answer to yourself. If you're sure and confident that you can rock this one, then, then try it, all right? Um, here we go. Here's the first. We'll do the first one. Do you know how the most important people in your life like to receive comfort? Okay, important question. It's important because we all like to receive comfort in different ways. The truth is not everyone understands this. So we get to the second question about you. Could you communicate to those closest to you how you like to receive comfort? All right. These are two really important questions. Now, I'm going to walk you through. Let's, like, let's, let's have a little case scenario, right? Let's say that uh, one of your loved ones is about to lose. A, they think they're going to lose a job. Super stressful, right? So we'll just have that scenario in mind, and we're going to walk through the comfort options, okay? We can offer solutions. We can offer optimism. We can be pessimistic. Think about it. Oh, that job's terrible anyway. Your boss stinks, right? You can try that route. That's, un that's you know, real. We could offer practical help, like, you know, every time there's a problem, uh, you get the person, like, a chocolate bar or a pizza or something, right? Um, or we get, to, uh, we get to these things. But the thing is, we try these things, and we kind of get to the end of our rope, and the truth is that those things don't always work, and we have to dig a little bit deeper, right? And I think the last two, we dig a little bit deeper, we get into to listening to the other person and, and giving hugs. I'm, this is serious, like appropriate touch, physical touch, right? We get into a little deeper things there. They don't maybe require as much of us, if you think about it, um, but they may, be very, they may be more important. So it's important to know what another person wants. It's also important to be able to communicate to others how we like to receive comfort in moments of crisis. Now, I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to. I'm going to talk to the men in the room for just a moment, all right? So if you're trying to comfort a woman in your life, option number one, I'm just going to say for me, <laughs> with the three women that are in my household, option number one does not work. So, Steve, maybe you can put, like, a tip jar for me somewhere, like, because that's, all right, it just, it doesn't work. Now, it may work for someone else. I'm just trying to save some guys some headache on that one, because I know, because I've tried it, 
way too many times, and it does, does it. It doesn't work, Katie, does it? See? All right. Um, so that's like the free tip of the day, um, and then, then we're going to move on. So our biblical text today um, is actually a much-needed word of comfort. This is where we're going to go. It was given by God through the prophet Isaiah, and it was given to the exiled people of Jerusalem that we, if you were here last week, uh, that's where we started. The city of Jerusalem is now uh, destroyed, and the people have been moved to Babylon. And so it represents this turning point in Israel's history, and I hope it's going to challenge us to do a couple things, to kind of get off the sidelines in two ways. One is announcing the good news, being bearers of, of good tidings, which is nice and Christmassy. Um, and the second is offering comfort uh, to others this Advent season. Let's pray. Speak to us, Lord, in the waiting, in the watching, in the hoping, the longing, the sorrow, the singing, and the rejoicing. God, we ask that you would speak to us by your word in these Advent days, and that you would walk with us until the day of your coming. Amen. Here we go, Isaiah 41 to 11. Comfort, O comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. The word of the Lord. So as much as 20 years before it actually happened, the prophet Isaiah, he knew that the Babylonian exile was coming. And so the book of Isaiah moves uh, in this kind of direction from this impending judgment that we passed through last week with the destruction of Jerusalem onto a comforting word, a word of hope. It's a word about a return home for the people who have seen their homes their lives, their city, their temple completely destroyed, right? And so for 50 years, these people have been displaced. And for 50 years, they've been longing to go home. And so kind of to demonstrate like the gravity of this situation, I want to read just a couple verses from the book of Lamentations, not a book that we read from a lot publicly in worship um, because it's tough, right? And so this portion of scripture that I'm going to read you was probably written by a survivor someone who was exiled from the city who had survived this destruction, and they climb up this mountaintop 
to weep, to write, and to pray this prayer of lament. I just picked a couple sentences, but they're choice. They're, they're tough. And the person, it's like this prayer. He says, you, God, invited my enemies from all around, as if for a day of festival. Just think about that line right there. It's like this, like, ooh, we could just spend a lot of time on that. And on the day of the anger of the Lord, nobody escaped or survived. Those whom I bore and reared my enemy has destroyed. And then he writes, Jerusalem reaches out for help, but there is no one to comfort her. So comfort was needed badly. Real comfort has to be given in a manner that it can be received, in a way that's actually found to be helpful to people. And so Isaiah's words of comfort were, and they continue to be, a real treasured possession um, by both Jews and Christians alike. This passage is probably familiar to a lot of us. And so the question is, is what did this comfort look like? What was the comfort that God was offering? I, I just, there's more than this in there, um, but I just picked a couple things. The first is this word that the covenant was still intact. This, was, this is really critical, right? Israel would remain God's chosen and covenant people, despite the fact that they had been screwing up, right? We, in the fall, we looked at all some of this stuff, all the injustice that we talked about during the fall. Um, God says the covenant is still intact. God's going to continue to honor God's promises. Even though the people of the scripture, do you like those? It's like so poetic. Even though the people were like grass that withers and flowers that fades away, God's word, God's promises endure forever. That God remains faithful. And so this kind of comfort's a pretty good start uh, for people that are wondering if God had not just completely forgotten about them in this 50-year exile. So this is a good start. The second is that a word that comes to them, this period of intense suffering, is over. It's done. The scripture says that the time had been served, the penalty paid, this suffering that the people were enduring was about to give way to this total and complete forgiveness. And finally, the most important one, I think, is that a word comes to him that God has a plan to bring the exiles home. Now we enter like they're probably their just deepest longing. What comfort could possibly have come to a people who had been displaced from their home for 50 years? Aside from this, like this, this is a plan that God's coming. God's coming to get them, right? God's plan was this construction of a superhighway that would run through the desert, connecting Babylon to Jerusalem. That's the image that the scriptures give. And I was like, when I read this, I'm like, can't God do the same thing for our LA freeways? Like, please, <laughs> we need this superhighway, right? So we got to be praying for that. Um, and it reminded me, in October, we went and hiked the, uh, the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu with Steve and Sydney, who are somewhere back there, right? And after the first day, I was hurting pretty bad. I was still recovering from a hip surgery. I was questioning if I had what it takes for day two, because day two was a 4,000-foot ascent followed by a 2,000-foot descent from 10 to 14,000 feet and then down to 12, right? And so after, let's see, about six hours of climbing, I was begging for the descent. <laughs> like, you have no idea. But when we got to the top and we started going down, I changed my mind. <laughs> I remembered Tom. I remembered the descent coming down Whitney. 
and how much that hurt, and that's how I felt coming back down. And at, by this point, like literally, I am begging, I'm praying, God, please, just some level, some level ground, please, right? Now, God was not listening to my whining, <laughs> right? <laughs> it was, I was being totally ignored. Um, day two was brutal. It was beautiful, but it was tough, right? And so, like, it was so tough, Steve. I don't know if this has ever happened to you in your life. We're going to ask it. I'm going to put you on the spot. Steve was so tired that he couldn't drink a glass of wine that night. <laughs> Remember? That's how hard it was, right? Um, it was really tough. That, I hadn't seen that before. I don't know that, if that happened. That doesn't happen regularly, does it? No, I didn't think so. So here we have this image, right, that God is coming to level to straighten, to uh, the terrain, right? It's this image that God is going to make their journey home quick and as easy as possible. The period of suffering is over, right? And so how is this? This is the fun stuff, I think. Look at how this mighty God is depicted. This mighty God who can do anything God wants is depicted not as this warrior coming to wield the sword and smite some Babylonians. This is not what it's, this is really fascinating. God comes as a shepherd who gently picks up the lambs, holds them close, and leads them home, right? Now, after looking at this historical context, this is a question that we have to ask ourselves. How and why does this message of hope for an exiled people of Jerusalem, how does this connect with the Christian season of Advent? Anybody want to try? There's a couple connections, but does anything just jump out at you? Why is this red during the month of December? All right, I'm going to help you. All right, now, this, as soon as I say this, it's, you're, going to, you're going to get it. Because this message is, in many ways, the forerunner to the New Testament gospel. And here we go. Isaiah had spoken about a voice crying out in the wilderness. Who did that in the New Testament? John the Baptist, okay? So our New Testament Gospels connect John the Baptist to the voice that was crying out in Isaiah 40 that we're looking at. And so like the people of Isaiah's day that are preparing to go home, John had a job that was to prepare the world to receive Jesus, whom John said was on his way. We see the connection, Right? God was going to come and rescue these exiled people. John comes along 500 years later and says, God's coming in Jesus to rescue uh, people. And so John's job was to be a voice that cried out. The Hebrew really cry doesn't really work very well. It's, the, it's really more of a word for preach or announce um, that Jesus the Messiah is coming. Now, John, I, I, when I think of John the Baptist, any history lovers in here, Paul Revere, John the Baptist is like Paul Revere. So when I went to Boston for the first time, is that like I was a history major and I love history. Um, I was super excited about the walking tour. I know most people are like, blah, blah, blah. I like the walking tour, all right? And the oldest home in downtown Boston is the home of Paul Revere, which I was super excited to see. He's most famous for his midnight ride that alerted the colonial militia that the British forces were coming, right? He had actually spent months helping to organize this fairly elaborate alarm system, 
right, that would keep watch on the British military, that would alert the colonials of any impending attack. And it was his warning that allowed the people to move supplies that they needed safely away from the city. Like Paul Revere, John the Baptist was also on the lookout, not for enemy armies, but for the long-awaited Messiah. John knew that Jesus' arrival on the scene was imminent. He knew that he was coming. He knew that his job was clear. Get people ready. But the genius, I think, of Isaiah is the universal scope of God's plan. It's fascinating that we have a particular historical context. These are real people that were really exiled. And yet when you listen to this word of hope, it says this. It says, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together. The scope of this hope that Isaiah had is far bigger than just for this particular group of people, right? And so how? Like our New Testament writers, they pick up on this idea. They say things like, when we see Jesus, we see God, okay? And so Isaiah's great comfort was not, it's, it's a forgiveness of sins, it's a return from exile, but what we see is that God's plans are bigger than that, right? God's salvation was going to be made known to the entire world. Throughout the history of Israel, what we see is that God has the rest of the world in mind the whole time. And this is fun stuff to think about. It's as if our New Testament gospel writers are saying, remember how Isaiah comforted the people by telling them that God was coming to their rescue? Well, God is coming again, but this time God's offer of salvation would extend to the entire world. And so the question for us is, how do we respond to Isaiah's message of comfort? I want to just finish with two suggestions, two things that come right out of this text. First, we're to be heralds of good tidings. Doesn't that sound Christmassy? Heralds of good tidings. Yes. And the second, the harder one, we're to be a comfort to, be, to those who are hurting. So we'll take the fun one first and the tough one last. Isaiah calls Zion and Jerusalem, code words, right? The people of God. So he says, climb up to the highest mountain, shout out the good news for the whole world to hear. And the message is really simple, right? So you don't have to be a real preacher. I don't even think I'm a real preacher. Dale, Jen, those are real preachers. Um, <laughs> Like, the message is so simple that anyone can say it. As a matter of fact, we're going to try it. It's just, here is your God. Do it. Here is your God. That's the whole sermon. Like, anyone can do that, right? That's what is to be announced. So John the Baptist, he listens to Isaiah. He actually takes one quite literally, announcing that God was on the way um, in Jesus. So as God's church, we too are heralds of good tidings. We're supposed to be bearers of good news that say the same thing. In Jesus Christ, here is your God, right? That's what we're supposed to do. This God who had us in mind from the foundation of the world, this God who forgives sins, this God who comforts us with words of hope, who tenderly picks us up like lambs, this God who holds us close, this God who walks beside us until we find our home in Christ. Here is our God. Now, I could take Isaiah literally. Mount Boney is right in front of our house. I could climb up there, you know, 2,000 feet, shout this message out as loud as I possibly could, and probably one of two things would happen. First, I don't think anybody would hear me. But if they did, they either think I'm crazy or they'd try to have me arrested. 
right? So I don't think that's literally the answer to this question. So maybe a better question is, is this. How can you and I be heralds of good tidings? How can we embody this? How can we be bearers of good news this Advent season? Because when our lives announce good news, I think that part of Isaiah that's really interesting, when our lives do this well in word and deed, people may actually see the glory of God revealed. Right? And we see this idea in uh, our theme verse from Matthew as well, if you think about that in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount. And finally, we finish with the more difficult idea, the one of comforting, uh, hurting people. Now, raise your hand if you know someone who's hurting that could use a little comfort right now. Does anyone have a person in mind in this situation? I've got a few, right? So this is important. And Isaiah begins his passage, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Now, my question when I read that was who's supposed to offer comfort? It wasn't, it's not clear really when you just, I read it the first time and I was like, who's the one that's supposed to offer the comfort? Is it God? Is it us? Is it both? Uh, there certainly is a sense that God is coming to comfort Israel um, and the world by the actions of God who's restoring the people of Jerusalem and restoring their community. But it also seemed clear to me when I looked at it closely that somebody is being called to provide comfort to God's people. My question is, could that someone be us? Is it you? Is it me? Are God's people being called to participate in the comforting of God's people? I think the answer is yes when you look at this closely. And so we all know there's no quick fix to real trauma. There's no instant snapping of the fingers and returning to the way things were. This is, the road is often for people very long and painful. And so as we passed the anniversary of the borderline shooting, I was reminded of this in really powerful ways, speaking to dear friends whose sons survived that shooting, right? And a year later, it's still really, really hard. Very, very hard for this family. And Isaiah says, comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God, right? So we listen to people who are hurting. When appropriate, we give hugs. We can at least do those two things. We who have been through a lot, we who have also suffered too, we who have received comfort from God, we are the ones that are also called to provide comfort to others. And so to me, this is kind of our Advent message from today boiled down to these two simple things. We announce good news about the future because we say that God has already come in Jesus. And God will come again and make things right. Even though we wither and fade, even though our faithfulness wanes, God's word endures forever. God's faithfulness endures forever. And along the way, on this journey of life, we, which can be very, very difficult, a journey where we all know that this suffering is real for people all around us, we learn that we are to comfort each other along the way as we have received comfort from God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your challenging word, uh, this word of hope, God, that was given to a specific people, but we see, God, that you had the whole world in mind when you offered these words of hope. 
And God, we're grateful. Help us to embody uh, this message. Help us to be bearers of good news to those around us. Help us to offer comfort in ways that people can, can receive. All in ways, God, that point people to your love in Jesus Christ. Amen.